Welcome to Radio Survivor. We're here for the love of radio and sound. My name is Eric Klein. And I'm Jennifer Waits. And today, we at Radio Survivor, we are so glad. I, I'm extremely giddy, in fact, because our radio show and podcast is being preserved in the Library of Congress uh, project that is preserving podcasts. And we're not alone in that honor. And we uh, grabbed a guest to explain to us um, how this all happened. And we're really pleased to share it with you today. Yeah, it's exciting because this is the very early days of a brand new project at the Library of Congress, the Podcast Preservation Project. So it, it was really cool to talk to our guest, Ted Westervelt, who is the manager of the Podcast Preservation Project at the Library of Congress. He's giving us insight into what they're doing and you know what their what their thought process is as they start to collect podcasts. Yeah, I mean, Radio Survivor, uh, we are gigantic fans of the preservation of sound. We we talk a lot about um, the preservation of, of the sound of radio from like the 20th century primarily. And so um, it is really fun today to focus on a project that is preserving the sounds of the future, as it were, the sounds of the present, which is the year 2020. And uh, we have a really um, a great guest from the Library of Congress. Today on the line, we have Ted Westervelt, the manager of the Podcast Preservation Project at the Library of Congress. Ted, welcome to Radio Survivor. Thank you very much. I'm really pleased to be here. So at Radio Survivor, we were very excited to get an email from you just a few weeks ago asking to include our podcast in the Library of Congress collection of sound recordings. You wrote that you consider the Radio Survivor podcast an important part of the cultural and historical record. So not only were we super excited about the prospect of being included, but we were also intrigued about this new preservation project for podcasts. So Ted Westervelt, you're the manager of the Podcast Preservation Project. Can you tell us what the main goal of that project is? Okay. um, Well, the main goal is essentially to take the overarching collecting policy of the Library of Congress and ensure that it is not slipping as a result of developments in terms of um, partially technology and partially just the creative output uh, of the nation and the world. Uh, We've had a long history of collecting uh, sound recordings now for quite a long time. And so... But that's always come through either broadcast over the air or it's been distributed via uh, tangible media, which I guess means CD-ROMs, tapes back in the day, vinyl, uh, when it was and still is. Um, So we have processes for that set up, uh, and that's a sort of established practice. But in the sort of digital world, if I can use that phrase, um, we now have new ways that works are being created um, some of them are just very much what we had in the past just now, created digitally and distributed digitally. Uh, and the interesting thing, I think, about podcasts is they're sort of a cousin to a lot of uh, previous creative sort of oral as opposed to visual works, is that um, they are – we've collected sort of spoken word interviews and, and um, discussions and lectures and anything like that forever. Um, and they continue to be distributed over the radio and broadcast airwaves. Um, But now they're being distributed in these ways and this sort of development of here's a new way to take this and create it and package it and distribute it. And there's nothing 
I mean, from a purely uh, the standpoint of a thing which should be collected and preserved by the Library of Congress, uh, it falls definitely within sort of the, the scope of what we, we've done and what we continue to intend doing. Um, but it, we need to sort of now focus on this a little bit more because it is something which is not falling within our sort of traditional collecting um, avenues or means. So the idea was uh, for a few years now we've been well, more than a few years, I've been involved for a few years, uh, looking at how we ensure that as we collect sound recordings in general, that the uh, movement of the sort of digital online world is not causing too many gaps to open up. We're not the victim of um, our success. Uh, knowing how to do what we've done is not causing us to miss changes. Uh, and the good thing is we've been very aware of this. On the other hand, um, the old ways haven't stopped, and so we're trying to maintain that and identify the new new creative works, new sort of avenues of creation, and the way they're distributed. Um, so over the past few years, we've been just looking at that. And in terms of sound recording, podcasts are sort of the, the one big new thing in terms of sound recording, um, which are crucial creative works, uh, which do capture... Th- this moment in time, this moment in the culture, uh, and then very much fall within our need to actually address. Um, so that is where, as we were doing this and thinking more broadly about it, uh, we felt that, okay, let's, let's focus a little bit on podcasts per se as, as a thing which we really aren't, I mean, unless you actively go for them, they aren't being distributed in any of the traditional ways that we could collect. So unless we um, sort of focus our attention on them specifically, at least to a certain extent, we're not going to be able to get a representative sample of them even, uh, let alone anything approaching the sort of breadth and depth that we do attempt uh, with creative works. Uh, definitely they're created within the United States, but also, of course, we collect internationally as well. So... So, have you been, so it sounds like you... Oh, sorry. It sounds like you've been collecting the podcast for a while, and are you saying it's more of a focus and more of a project at no. this point? It's to a certain extent we. I think we've been collecting some, but almost as a sort of happenstance thing, but never a sort of focused uh, effort to collect podcasts. And this is actually the beginning. We started by just going through and seeing, okay, how would how would we manage this in a way that um, is sort of manageable with limited resources. I know it's uh, it's kind of tough to think that's such a large institution, but we try and do so much that the resources have to be uh, used very uh, efficiently as possible. So looking at our resources, looking at our knowledge base, the people who know sound recordings, the people who know broadcasting, the people who know digital creation and digital distribution, uh, bringing them all together and taking a look at podcasts um, and sort of figure out how to scope that, how to how to acquire them, how to get them into the collection or under our sort of control, uh, make sure they're discoverable, um, which is crucial. Uh, one of the great dangers of the digital world is when everything is out there, it can be kind of hard to find what you're actually looking for, uh, especially the less uh, detail you know about it, except in more general terms. And then finally, how to make it uh, accessible uh, so a user could actually listen to the copy we have, um, which is, uh, to a certain extent... Most of them are currently out there now, but that doesn't mean they'll be out there later. And we're an old institution that that definitely looks uh, decades, if not centuries, down the road. Uh, Part of the purpose is to ensure that 
future patrons, you know, grandchildren, great-grandchildren, will be able to um, listen to these things because it will be uh, informative uh, as well as hopefully entertaining to them in the future. Uh, so that was really the genesis, and it was we started small with sort of test um, test pilot uh, material through it, and then the the success of that in test meant that we started to to do more outreach, identify a little more broadly. Uh, can we do this? And that's sort of where we are: is that having having managed this, having gone out, collected the material, run it all the way through, making it discoverable in our public catalog, uh, and at least making it currently available on site here at the institution, is that now we can, now the interesting thing is, all right, now we need to know more about, I think, the podcasting environment more broadly, uh, so we can actually tackle it in a way which is uh, scalable and sustainable, because there there is a lot of material out there, and it will be uh, very important to us in our mission, um, and to the creators, we hope, as well. Um, it's got to be sort of overwhelming thinking about the vast quantity of podcasts that are present day and then podcasts from the past. And and obviously, you contacted us, and we have a, a contemporary podcast. But I'm also curious if you're seeking out podcasts that are defunct or, or podcasts from those very early days of podcasting. That's probably the more challenging thing. Um, generally... This is a. This is. I always think this is a very large ship um, that we. So maneuvering it into position takes a long time, and then it's sort of the volume we can do. Our first goal actually is merely to get to the point where we can start collecting the ones that are current. If we can accomplish that, then that is a major win. On after that, then uh, the question of uh, older ones that may be defunct, um, but the the challenge there is is finding where they are. I mean, to a certain extent, what we're trying to do now is capture the ones that are live now because there's a possibility they will go defunct. Hopefully that, I mean, part of what we're hoping now is that if we start engaging a little bit more, we can discover these um, pockets of podcasts that are that are maybe defunct. We've had uh, one of the podcasts... Um, the podcasters uh, that we were receiving the current material, but he also sent us the, the back files, um, which is a little bit challenging. We're, we're fine with that, but for the most part at, at this stage, when we're getting going, we also don't want to make this seem difficult for the podcasters. We're trying to make this as straightforward as possible because uh, we know for not all not all podcasters, like all creators, is some of them have more technical expertise than others. Um, Often when someone's creating a podcast or, or any creative work, um, they're great. The thing they have more than anything else is sort of a, a creative knowledge of how to, how to make something, not necessarily the, the technical know-how to how to uh, preserve it, keep it going, things like that. It's beautiful when it happens, and for a lot of cases it does happen, but if we can, if we can, get, it, um, if we can get the stuff in now, then at the very least we've we're catching the, the the podcast before they do disappear, um, and we, we've seen this in other digital materials we've collected in the in the visual sphere. Uh, so we know that's going to happen now. Um, and then, if as we get things going, and hopefully as we get sort of feedback and interest from the podcasting community, is that once they become aware of these things, or once they become they know that we are a potential repository for those, hopefully that uh, they can 
provide us guidance on that. Um, it, it is it is a very broad and vast remit we have. Um, which yeah, always meets. <laughs> it makes me wonder what. So, what types of podcasts are you actively looking for yeah. right now? I, w- I should say that we're, I want to. I just want to remind listeners that we're on the line with Ted Westervelt, who is the manager of podcast preservation, uh, the manager of the podcast preservation project at the Library of Congress, and we're talking about what is essentially. Uh, the first step in a very huge project, right, to begin the process of preserving podcasts. So it's it's a very uh, it's a great question to ask. Um, you're trying to you're trying to start this um, like I'm trying to think of the right metaphor for size, and it's it's a global it's a global scope to preserve uh, any any day of podcasting in the United States, let alone. Um, the entire concept of podcasts. Uh, yeah, how how did you? Yeah, where did you start? Asked, yeah, Jennifer <laughs> asked, where did you start, or what were you looking to uh, begin with when it when the work of preserving podcasts was undertaken? Well, I guess it's somewhat of a curatorial um, question as well. You know, what a, what is the criteria? What are you looking for as you're reaching out for these beginning for the first podcasts in the collection? Well, the advantage about the beginning is that you know you can't get everything, and the goal is always to start small. Um, So when we first looked at this, um, and this is true actually for a lot of our collecting of of new, especially digital, is one of the most important things to do is try and get a a variety. Uh, Small podcasters, larger podcasting networks, um, different types of podcasts, um, to try try and see, okay, what differences are, or what are the range of differences we're looking at in the way they're created, the dis- distribution, the RSS feed, the, the metadata about them? What, what, is, what is the range we're going to have to deal with? It's sort of a, I guess it's sort of like polling, perhaps. Um, you're, you're, trying, you're trying to find representative examples from, they give you some idea. It's never, it's never as broad as it's going to be, and you're always going to run into um, the exceptions, um, but the key thing is if you can if you get a broad enough sample at the beginning of different types, then if that puts you so that you understand, say, two thirds, maybe if you're really lucky, eighty percent of what you'll get, that's a massive accomplishment and really sets you up for success down the line. So when we first started, it was exactly those things. It was reaching out to um, across a different number of subjects, uh, across a different number of, of types of podcaster. As I said, we talked to ones that are part of large networks. We talked to ones that were just sort of one-offs by professors, uh, one from a library. I mean, and it was it was good to sort of test this because it gave us an idea of what we might be looking at. Because fundamentally, in the longer term, I mean, ultimately, and by ultimately, I mean many years down the line, because none of these, I've worked on other digital projects, and, and these are definitely years and years long projects, but that's part of what we do here. Um, what our scope will be will be fairly it will be broad across subject it'll be broad across geography it'll be, um, and get that depth um, so at this point, I think having gone through that and feel relatively comfortable as comfortable as anyone can when they're about to embark on such a such a large effort um, we're trying to get a, a a better feel we we have expertise internally in just creative works and subjects and geographic areas and they are aware of podcasts that address say their particular subject 
or that are that are from their area or, or region or what have you. And so we can get that from them. And that's one of the things we're going to do is sort of expand expand this out and get the sort of internal expertise. But one of the things we're interested about um, is learning more about just what the environment is, um, how broad it is, where where are I mean we all I think we all listen to podcasts, but I'm not going to pretend uh, I personally have done the sort of detailed research on um, if if there are particular are there particular voices that are being captured by them. I mean our goal will be fundamentally to ensure that all the voices that are in podcasting, or at least we have representation from all the voices in, in podcasting uh, in that sort of broad sense. And one of the, one of the other things we often think about, especially in the digital world is that it uh, offers the chance sometimes more than others, but it offers the chance for voices that have been not as represented or marginalized in the past. It gives them that, that opportunity to make their voices heard. And that's something else we want to make sure to capture going forward. Um, and so at this point, I think we're hoping to get sort of more feedback on, okay, what is the landscape like? There are certain areas I'm sure are very strongly represented um, and we'll want to get that. But there are also places that uh, may not have as much, but the podcasting that's coming out of, say, those communities around those topics uh, don't tend to produce as much sort of um, or haven't historically produced as much. And therefore, yeah. in a way, it's even more important to capture them now, now that we have this opportunity to capture these voices, because also, sadly, they may be the voices that are most easily silenced, uh, not in a sinister way, but just in the sort of crush of, you know. Crush, the crush of uh, time passing, I the guess. The crush and, of, I don't know, and, the crush of time, the crush of resource allocation right, and life exactly. and everything else. Yeah, is every, that, every um, podcast is, is, is currently online because usually the creator, especially these individual, these very special, mm-hmm. um, these very special specific shows that I think you're referencing, that uh, they're online because the person who, who made them is paying the bill. Uh, a monthly bill usually, yeah. and in any any month they could stop and they'd be offline, and that's why preservation right. is so interesting. Ted uh, Ted Westervelt, you're the manager of podcast preservation at the Library of Congress. Can you can you give us one or two specifics of these sorts of special shows that I think you were referencing? Don't really have like what I would say is like a national profile. They're not. I'm assuming you're referencing uh, the types of podcasts that aren't on the iTunes charts or what used to be called the iTunes charts. Um, so what, what kind of shows are you talking about that, that the work um, is being done to preserve? Well, I'm trying to think. Um, off the top of my head, I know we're doing one which is a small academic one um, about ending human trafficking. Um, and that is very much a, um, well, not simply a professor, but uh, it, it's her work, um, and once again, is is very much dependent on her and then the support she's getting from from others in the field. Um, we've had conversations with other. Um, I'm trying to think. There's another one that we haven't uh, we've talked with, but haven't finished. But it was uh, a um, Native American uh, podcast, um, which I think we're we're very interested in, and we're we're still talking with them about the possibility of of preserving theirs if they'd be interested. Um, but it is it is definitely things like like that. I'm trying to think. We've had um, we've had some others uh, where we focused on ones that are. Um, I'm trying to figure out how best to describe them, but uh, 
I don't know if the focus is, uh, I'm trying to, off the top of my head, um, there's one, there's one where the, uh, it's a producer or distributor, um, that is, I think the, the focus is often, is, uh, a women's, not interests, but, um, just perspective possibly on sure. things. Um, it's a, and it's, it's interesting to get those sort of things. So we're trying to, we're trying to find those at, at this point. I think we're very much open and they're the, they're the places I think we know, uh, where there are, there are voices like that. Um, uh, Native Americans are one possibility or yeah. specialized subjects about, about, uh, marginalized or, or frankly, um, just exploited communities where they keep into trafficking where, we we know that from from our experience that uh, these are voices that are that are not heard of as much, and yeah. so we can look after. What I'm what can, I'm realizing we can, when we find what I'm realizing by th- your answer to my question is I, again you you've said it at the beginning uh, this project of the Library of Congress uh, preserving podcasts uh, for um, for for as long as 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 humanly possible. Uh, in f- for future generations uh, has just begun. It is really at the very beginning, and so uh, again, we here at Radio Survivor are um, what's what is the proper word to describe how we feel? We'll have to think about that. We'll all have to write our own personal uh, essays about how we feel about the uh, the notion of Radio Survivor, the podcast and radio show being a part of this uh, preservation project. We're all very uh, excited and proud. Um, my name is Eric Klein. This is Radio Survivor. I'm on the line with uh, my co-host Jennifer Waits, and we're talking to Ted Westervelt, the manager of podcast preservation at the Library of Congress. And and Eric, you just mentioned that Radio Survivor were excited about being included, but Ted, I I noted that you know you're in talks with some podcast to see if they might be interested. Uh, is there have you heard any pushback? Are there people who don't want their podcast preserved? Mm-hmm. At this point, generally, it's been very positive. Um, some have been n- non-responsive, which I entirely. This is this is a voluntary thing. We are not. We we hope we can. We hope we can be a valuable partner. We would like to do this, um, and the the terms are very much um, up to it. But so we've had a couple that have not responded, which I understand. I mean, if they've got questions, they're always. There are also issues of rights as well. Some of the podcasts are um, fairly small, and they'll do interviews. And when we talked to, came back and said, we'd love to do this. On the other hand, we have all these interviews with people. We never ask them to sign anything. So we're not quite sure we can do that and give you any rights because we don't know who owns the rights, which is a fair, fair enough question to come up. Uh, others others have, been, have been just asked questions like, like that. And we have, we have uh, of course work here with the copyright office uh in the building so uh, we can always answer questions like that and generally we we have ways of, of working with people and saying okay we can we can manage we can manage this in a way our our goal is always to to balance everyone's needs here uh which is um, just people want to listen continue to listen to these and people aren't even born yet to listen to these also making sure that the creators and everyone who has a, has a right uh in these works have the rights fully respected? Um, so it, it's a it's a balancing act. On the other hand, I think I think it's one that can be managed, and I think our our effort is to be as respectful as possible to everyone involved in this. Uh, we feel that we're part of a we're part of a healthy sort of ecosystem of creation and use of creative works, and podcasts are as much that as anyone else. 
or as any other type of, of material. So for the most part, I'd say really the, the responses have been good, and it, it's, it's mostly questions of, um, we had a question from one as to whether they were giving the rights away <laughs> to us, and I said, right. no, that's what, 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 you're, what you're allowing us as the rights holder is to preserve a copy of this, and if you're okay with that, we will, we will make this uh, accessible uh, through our website and or at least uh, on-site through, um, through our uh, platform here internally in the building for people to stream. Um, so generally the responses have been have been very good, um, but on the other hand, if they don't respond to me, I don't know quite what the, the issue is, but there have honestly been, s- of the ones we've, we've written to, and this, once again, this isn't the early stages, uh, very, very few have not responded. Generally, it's been very positive, and we're glad, because it, it also means, we hope, uh, that what we're doing is something the podcast community I don't know if this has been something that's been uh, discussed. I know that uh, uh, Preserve the Podcast has been has been uh, rallying, so there's obviously some interest in this. But mm-hmm. we're glad to to be part of the sort of effort to ensure this is preserved because there's a I don't know there, there's a lot out there, and, and at a certain point, I'm, I hope that everyone thinks, oh wait a minute, this isn't this this might go away and and now there's yeah. this this wonderful material which really needs to be preserved as part of well, uh, yeah. it is it and we've had those conversations uh-huh. uh we talked to a scholar Andrew Bottomley and and he's done work about the early days of audio on the internet and and the difficulty in in getting access to some of these old you know in old formats these audio files right. some of these preliminary podcasts that were uh, like audio blogs that people created and and those are very hard to find and and so that's that to me is strong evidence of why it's a good idea to be preserving the current material as well because you know some of this early early web audio which really isn't from all that long ago if you think about it uh, a lot of that is already essentially impossible to find i think this is i think it's very uh this is where i would like to make a plug for my new hobby and i want my new hobby to uh to be taken up by other people out there uh in the in the world of sound and radio uh i've started you know grabbing episodes of of podcasts that i care about especially here in my very you know in a very small community so I'll, i'll just mention like uh comedy podcasts in portland oregon right uh it, I've taken it upon myself to sort of hold a copy just in case and uh, of podcasts that I think are great and uh, and I would like to, you know, I'd like for them to still be around 10 years from now, let alone 100 years from now. Um, anyone out there is uh, can put some podcasts on their hard drive and hold them for a little while if they think they're important. And again, uh, it's a really fascinating uh, twisted tale to think about, well, are you violating the copyright of the creator who uh, put them out there for free and you downloaded them for free. It depends on what you use them for after you've downloaded them. But I think preservation and um, the enjoyment of listening both for entertainment and for study is a perfectly good use for preserving the work of, of podcast creators. Uh, but what a, what a world to think that there might be some people out there who want to hold, hold on to their works all these interviews, uh, just in case there might be um, a revenue source, a licensing stream uh, coming down 
from nowhere in the future. I can't imagine uh, what I can't imagine yet. I guess I could start imagining uh, why why you might want to hold on to something and and uh, and you know pre- not not share it with the Library of Congress. But I for one am super glad that Radio Survivors work. Uh, every single episode we've recorded so far uh, will be in the archive and uh, be available for people to listen to outside of. Um, the channels that we currently have. It's very exciting to us at Radio Survivor. And as I said, for the most part, most people, most of the podcasters who contacted me have been really just as, as enthusiastic and, and frankly as, as helpful and friendly as, yeah. as one could have hoped. It's um, any, there are mostly it's sort of cases of we just want to be safe, which I understand. I mean, I, I work with, with attorneys all the time on questions like right. these, and so I, it's entirely valid. But for the most part, people do want um, – I tend to feel that we uh, – speaking hopefully not too broadly from the institution I'm a part of um, – do want to ensure that, that this material is preserved, and this is something that's of great value to creators is that if you put your, your – uh, blood, sweat, toil, and tears into this. Wouldn't it be nice that it's not essentially um, something that's going to be gone with the wind? That it will be there, yeah, uh, for for you and for other people well, in in years to come. And a lot, I mean, a lot of podcasts are for fun, and you can imagine um, what the value of listening to that later, you know. Uh, but um, a lot of work, including Radio Survivor, like you know, we really are now trying to. Um, capture voices and preserve stories to sort to help um i don't want to be too grandiose but to help create history i know that jennifer's work um you know uh, talking about and covering the issues of of college radio i know that jennifer you sort of that's how you envision the work that you're doing that if you didn't write stuff down or record things for radio survivor um these stories of college radio uh could definitely just um dissipate and not be known uh, at all, even next year, let alone uh, twenty five years from now and i think I think there 's a lot of uh, there 's a lot of value in in podcasting uh, a lot of stories yeah, I think so too um, and i 'm also curious this is kind of going in a different direction, but um, what what are the pragmatics you know these are all the reasons why we think it 's important to preserve these podcasts and these stories but how how are you actually preserving them where do you save them what does it mean yeah. to preserve a podcast at the are library they, of congress are they on a shelf i want i want to know if we're on a shelf or <laughs> are they being converted to uh to tape and yeah. saved in the bunker no. <laughs> um the good thing about most well the good thing about most digital preservation is that it all it all works on, on many of the same principles, I've, which uh, I happily have colleagues that know the, the details about this. But uh, from a previous work with previous colleagues, um, it was if you've got it in um, th- and what was it three different places, um, mm-hmm. two different types of uh, storage, at, and just working like that, it, it's the it's the replication, multiple places, multiple types. Um, so. We now have a lot of experience collecting digital content uh, and then getting it onto the appropriate types uh, of uh, some of some of it is on tape storage, some of it is on spinning disk, some of it is on uh, some of it will most likely end up in the cloud um, so there are there are different ways for that uh, 
for the most part, though, the I, I say this because this is one of my colleagues' problems and not my own, so it's easier for me to think they've got it, they've got it covered. But uh, it's getting the material in, uh, finding the stuff and getting it in. Once we've got it in sort of the door, uh, even if it isn't technically a door, um, at that point we feel we have some degree of control and, frankly, a decent amount of expertise in how to preserve the material we have on hand, uh, digital, of course, physical. Uh, it's mostly just getting getting it in first and then of course doing all the work um with with everything uh you you collect um i I often use the analogy a puppy is not for christmas it's very easy to think oh i I get it Um, but you've got to you've got to have the entire process all the way through uh and there's just so many elements to Digital preservation, but also just preservation in general, is that if, if you acquire it, that's fine. Then you need to manage it. Then you need to know where it is. And you need to have it accurately described so you can find it again. And then you have to have it on the shelf, whether that's a digital shelf or a physical shelf. <laughs> and then you need to have some way of then connecting that when somebody wants it. Um, so it's yeah, been, how been are a you? lot of sort of... Wait. Oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, well, Ted, oh, yeah, there are a lot of pieces. Ted oh. Westervelt, what, do you, what was the puppies for Christmas metaphor? <laughs> oh, it's often one of these things where uh, when you're in a, a large organization where y- you hand it off like an assembly line is that you can think when you're, I'm doing my part of it and then therefore it's not my problem if things uh, fall apart down the line, which doesn't happen. But it's also just sort of one of those human human things. When you're really focused on your part, then you don't look at, at the big view. Uh, and one of the nice things about working with digital material is so much of it is new is that every time you start working on something, you're thinking about it from the beginning, from the moment you identify something to the moment when it is still servable. Um, so you can't have that attitude that, uh, well, I, I got the puppy and, oh, there's a dog. Where'd this come from? That's not my responsibility. Uh, so anytime you want to get something digital, you have to remember a puppy is not just for Christmas. You're going to have a dog there, hopefully for a decade or more. Um, so it, it's good to it's good to think that way through the whole process. So we've stumbled uh, prof- we've stumbled upon a, hmm? um, like a truism at the Library of Congress that I was not aware of. Yeah, I know that's new to me too. Um, so after after you receive these materials in the door, as you said, mm-hmm. um, you have to and work on describing them. These and materials being with- being uh, podcasts that are being podcasts. preserved at the Library of Congress, just in case listeners are just joining us. Yeah, so I was asking, how do you preser- preserve them? And But I'm also curious about all of the metadata that you save. Like with our podcast, with Radio Survivor, we write up show notes that have, you know, we have links to different things that we've mentioned. And in an hour-long episode, we might have, we might have a guest or we might have multiple guests or multiple topics. So how do you capture all of that in the metadata? Or do you? Well, the, the great thing about podcasts is that you are doing this, frankly, good work with metadata yourself. Um, it tends to be fairly um, uh, structured in a relatively normalized way, I say. Um, and so we can bring in that metadata. And so we can have uh, the metadata you create about, say, an individual episode. Um, and then at a higher level, we will go out and create the um, about the series as a whole. So there'll be sort of an overarching there'll be an overarching record for 
Radio Survivor uh, so that anyone who is searching within the collection would be able to find it. Um, and then from that, they could connect down and dig, drill down into, okay, what are the, what are the episodes and how, how, what can I find out about them? Uh, for the most part, at the episode level, we, we do depend upon what's been created. Um, but as I said, it, it's, it's largely good. And it's at, the, it's at the top level we try and provide sort of the, the expertise, the, the structured, um, authoritative uh, way so that um, you can find specifically, say, um, you um, and the host and the hosts in this case um, and the title and all the sort of evidence, the, the subject work and everything like that so that people can, can find it and then they, they can go down from there. So uh, as I said, we definitely benefit from, from the good metadata. It, it is one of the things that makes us um, more optimistic about podcasts. If, it, if we were looking at, at a, f- a far less structured world, and I, I'm intrigued about when you talk about the early sort of I guess, audio blogs or things like that, is that um, that is always where it's more challenging. Um, yeah. The more it, it's nice to go sort of off book and do your own thing, but it makes it so much more difficult if it can if it can live within a sort of at least reasonable range of uh, of creation, then it's easier for an institution like this or any institution to end up preserving it and serving it and making it discoverable in the long term. Um, oh, that's interesting. Seem- so, so if you had sort of a postmodern, you know, podcast that is really experimental, um, is that going to be more difficult to find its way into the Library of Congress, for example? It, it would depend. I mean, it depends on on how much. If if your metadata is all over the place, if it if you're distributing in some unusual way, um, the key thing is how is it being distributed and how are you describing it. And if those are challenging, it isn't as if we wouldn't do it. It's just one of the situations where we we at any place is going to have to think. Okay, I'm going to have to spend this much extra time on it, which means it's not time I can put towards other ends. Um, so it. It's almost that balance. We we talk about this in in general internally. Um, is that if things are produced in a fairly standard way, then we can hopefully collect larger amounts of that with less resources, and then we put resources towards the stuff which isn't um, mm. maybe done that way. Um, and if if you find something which is is more challenging, that it doesn't mean we don't want to collect it. We may absolutely want to collect it. On the other hand, we aren't going to be able to collect as much of it if it costs if it if it takes somebody days or weeks to handle it. Um, then that's there are only so many times we could say do that in a year. Uh, so it it's mostly along those those lines. And I tend to I, it is it is interesting um, what you have to say about the sort of early. I guess proto podcasts uh, that were created, say, I don't know, twenty years ago or so, is that it just makes me think of um, every time there's a, a sort of great uh, change or, or leap forward in the terms of the, the uh, communication of information. I mean, the, the printing revolution back in I don't know, the 15th, 16th century, and then just sort of the mass um, uh, paperback and, and printing. I think in the 19th century or and then ones we've seen along the way is that when that first happens is you can create a lot of that stuff but it often it doesn't necessarily last because you're learning about how to do it and you and it's sort of a trial and error aspect of it um and that 
you then can end up with material that some of it some of it will survive, some of it will will not. Um, and even even for a large institution like this, we have to ex- we we cannot attempt to do everything. Yeah, our, our resources are not unlimited. Um, but on the other hand, it is then good for us to get involved early, so that um, if there are some sort of wonderful, fragile experimental things, well, then maybe at least we can if we can grab one of them, that's better than zero. Yeah, we on a recent episode of Radio Survivor, I just learned that. Um, and it obvious it's it's an obvious fact but it had never really sunk in for me that there were uh any number of recorded um records uh songs that might have even been popular in their day that did not that have not survived as far as we know uh into our time and so even though the library of congress you know for example is is mm-hmm. collecting and preserving these songs these these vinyl discs uh, not everything has made it onto a shelf in time before it disappeared. Jennifer was referring to audio blogs that um, this technology preceding, you know, the the RSS feed and the podcast of our day where uh, people would actually like basically leave voicemail messages for their audience on the internet. They would call a phone number and a computer would record their voice and that would essentially be that episode of their, of their audio blog. Um, And there's a, there's a few examples remaining in our time, but it's a it's just a a unique way to communicate with an audience that is uh, definitely definitely mostly gone. Yeah, it's the it's the trial and error. You try something and then you realize that's not sustainable. But something else, I guess that's when they develop. You reach the point of podcasts, which is oh, people want to do this. How do we actually make this sustainable? Uh, but it's also, I mean, I'm just actually thinking, and once again, I'm going to defer entirely to probably expertise of you two in regard to this, but I just know that uh, in the past of experiences of just taping over things, there, yep. um, <laughs> local news programs just taped it. I remember asking about um, a relative that had ended up on the local, one of those local um, uh, state community political discussion shows and asking, oh, you still have it? They said, no, we taped over that within months of when we did it. And and honestly, even years ago, I worked at a summer job in a state archives, and I remember going through the, um, the paper records, and there was one about this commission, and the commissioner writing to the governor's assistant saying, uh, so we've run out of tape, so we're just taping over our old meeting notes. Is that okay? And thinking, oh, okay, not really what you'd want to do, but, you know, needs must. If you if you don't have enough tape, you're going to tape over what you did before. Yeah, it's essentially um, so, like in it's in 2020, it's the it's the version of filling up your four terabytes of mm-hmm. hard drive space and and erasing it right. to to add to add new videos and get rid of your old yeah. videos. It happens. It mm-hmm. still happens. Yeah. It's it's one of the interesting things we're just beginning to discover as we do this is just the the variety of, I mean, how many uh, episodes do people keep an, an RSS feed at a given time? Because right. it it just varies, um, and my guess is it it depends on a number of factors, including I quite possibly cost. Um, so. Yeah, uh, there's there's just a lot a lot of possibilities out there. So so getting involved in trying to to preserve that before the I don't know the the weight of time or capitalism or what have you right. uh, usually forces it's, you to make decisions. Usually, it's uh, the the company that owned those things gets sold to something else or goes out of business, and then and then one employee decides what to what to store in their mm-hmm. attic and what to allow 
the garbage men to take away. That's like that's the that's the story of oh. these, of radio preservation as as we know it. I'm I'm not the least bit surprised. Yeah. I mean, there's a it makes me think this um, these academics. I think they might have actually been out in California, but perfect. I mean, academics at one of the universities out there, and they had an online peer-reviewed scholarly journal and it ran for 10 years and then, and then we'd started to to collect it and then we went back to to collect some more and we noticed and <laughs> the web page said so i'm going to stop doing this now and i'll keep the website up for a little while until i'm done and don't feel like paying for it anymore and then it's gone and yeah. really that would have been it because i i was looking around anywhere else that had captured it and I, it was to a certain extent sheer happenstance that, that this had been identified by our uh, experts early on that um, because it d- doesn't appear anyone else had and and that it just speaks to the other ones where wonderful uh, resources creative output which um, you know just disappears and we never even knew it existed before it was gone so yeah and a lot of people just assume that it's going to be up there forever and right. Um, and clearly that's not the case. Somebody yeah, has, someone yeah. has a podcast that, that one creator has erased just, uh, sitting on an old phone <laughs> and, uh, when they throw that phone away and then the only copy, um, now I'm just writing fiction. We're on the line with, uh, no. Ted Westervelt, the manager of podcast preservation at the library of Congress or, um, the manager of the podcast preservation project at the library of Congress. And my name is Eric Klein. This is radio survivor. And with me is Jennifer Waits. So, so Ted, I'm curious. We've been talking, we've been alluding to various podcasts that we might know about. And let's say we have an interesting podcast or we know of an interesting podcast. Can we recommend that to you to preserve? Or as an individual, could I reach out to you and say, hey, I want my podcast preserved at the Library of Congress? How does that work? Um, oh, absolutely. I mean, with the caveat that since this is early days, uh, we are moving. We need to move in a way that's scalable, but on the other hand, we would very much be interested in hearing uh, if there's a, a podcast out there. One, um, just if you're aware of a group of them, if you're aware of, um, once again, information about podcasting in general, we'll honestly be interested. But yeah, if you have a podcast and, and you want to know whether this falls within um, our collecting scope, um, we are very happy to get that in. And if it does, we will add it to the list. And I, I would rather I would rather know about it, um, just sort of managing expectations that it may take us a little time to get it up and running that we're we're pulling this in. Um, but no, we, we we are very much interested in in knowing what's out there because yeah, we we know the we know the big ones. They're they're the famous ones. They're they're the ones that are, I guess are in the the no longer iTunes charts or what have you. Um, but. That is uh, that's the equivalent of collecting collecting only from the um, major presses or the major yeah. music producers or anything no, like that. There's no preservation challenge with Stephen King books. Like Stephen King books are going right. to be findable in the next decade right. for everybody. Yeah, and we want those. I mean, the, this is it's important because those are popular and people have them. They tell they they they're obviously appealing um, and they tell an important story about this time, um, but so do the things which have small niche audiences or a labor of love. Um, 
And so, yeah, I mean, we, we're very interested in hearing about the podcasts that are out there. Um, and, and as I said, it's just understanding that uh, this, is, this, is a large, uh, this is a large ship, and it moves and maneuvers slowly. It's when we can build up a head of steam that the wake is quite impressive. You, so you mentioned the scope of the collection. What, what sorts of podcasts would not be in the scope of the collection? Um, at this point, I'm trying to think. Generally, we work across um, most subject areas. Um, I'm, I'm definitely, I'm definitely feeling my my colleagues who are in the collection development office on my shoulder. So I'm trying to be uh, <laughs> be, be good as much as possible. Here. Well, I, I'm sure you have um, to be intentionally vague. Yeah, and um, we we look yeah. forward to talking I, with I'm, them. I'm a, in the in the future, either the near future or the distant future, we're always open to uh, to people who work at the Library of Congress preserving sound to join us on Radio Survivor. Mm-hmm. Open invitation. Oh yeah, no, and I've got I've got colleagues that um, who can de- definitely more uh, grounded in I sort of um, stay sound, sound recording in tuned. general. Yeah, listeners stay tuned. Um, and so that would be they, they would they would definitely have an, another uh, an interesting perspective for you. So uh, if if you're interested, I will pass that it, along to them. And it's probably like it's probably not a fair question to ask because it's probably one of the more complicated questions is how how do you <laughs> yeah. determine the what, scope what of the collection? What are you not going to preserve? Yeah, geez, Louise. Yeah, I, I guess uh, I'm trying yeah. to think like if um, I'm, I'm trying to think of guidelines for people who do have podcasts so that that people maybe have a sense of when. It's appropriate to to reach out and when not. Right. Um, I'm trying to think. This is not. I want all sort of provisos here that this this is my sort of vague interpretation. I don't want this to. Now this can't be uh, sort of authoritative from the institution, but it it's as if um, I'd, I'd say anything where there is a focused dedication to a subject is a strong. Uh, is a strong candidate for this. I'm thinking of some of what we collect in, well, actually not what we collect in, but what we, um, we, we have, a, we run the programs here that assign uh, standard numbers to uh, publications. Um, and, and in some cases we will do that for say blogs, but they tend to be, well, um, are they, are the people involved with them very high profile? Are the subjects very dedicated to something? So uh, if it was, if it was a, for most of the podcasts, I think of are they focus on a subject. They get, they interview interesting people. Um, they provide an insight into a particular um, area or perspective or anything like that. Um, so, if it was just me and my pals randomly talking about nothing or just the things like that. Um, that would be, but I'm, I'm not exactly sure. I don't. Everything under under the sun is created, so there probably are some podcasts like that. I I can't think of any off the top of my head that would even be vaguely like that. Um, but any if if someone has a podcast that um, I definitely say if it is a focus, like this is my podcast, and we talk about whatever it is. Is it a hobby? Is it a is it um, a is it politics? Is it um, society? Is it I don't know? Is it uh, the Upper Peninsula of Michigan? Where this is my podcast, and I'm talking to people, and I live up here, and I'm talking to people in the UP, uh, and we're uh, anything anything like that. 
uh, if it provides that sort of perspective on some aspect of of life at this time, some unique and sort of valuable aspect like that. I mean, my assumption is anyone that's that's dedicated the time and effort to a podcast is probably um, not just horsing around with friends, uh, even if there's sort of there's good sort of. That's not the same as sort of a, a bantering relationship, uh, say between hosts on a podcast, but more um, that that's just can be good, <laughs> good entertainment, good podcasting, but. Um, yeah, if the, if there's anything if there's anything like that, the, uh, something they're trying to to share, um, that so I, I feel that's fairly broad, and now I do worry I'm going to I'm going to uh, step on my my colleagues' toes here or or get some stern stern looks uh, later, um, but to a certain extent, as as long as as long as people are aware that. Um, we move slowly and and we we simply are are not comprehensive um but we attempt a breadth and depth which is representative um that we're more than happy to hear about that um and that would be that would be good and so i'm trying to think of like all of the podcast all of the podcasters out there and and how will they know if if they have a podcast that that maybe uh, they should um, encourage the Library of Congress yeah. to preserve. And I think I think Ted answered that question, so I might answer for him and allow him to add on to what I said. Or that I think what, what you said, uh, Ted Westervelt, manager of podcast preservation project at the Library of Congress, was that um, at the moment, since it's the very beginning, uh, your project is interested in in pretty much everybody, um, and yet also. Uh, everyone in in the world hearing our voices should know that uh it's just the beginnings and so there's uh they'll have to be very patient if they've if if they want their podcast on a list today yeah i would yes i would say that's exactly it and um if they were to reach out it would be interesting to know not a they don't need a marketing thing but if they can just tell us what they're attempting to do with the podcast uh, if it was sort of my podcast is about um, this is about hobbyists in this particular field um, in, in the Western United States, or it's about people with this experience, and I I have this experience, and I talk with other people like this. Anything like that, it then just helps us get some yeah. um, figure out how it fits together. At this point, I guess I'm I'm tempting fate, but it would be good to hear if, if people have one. It'd be good to hear from them with the knowledge that. Yeah, it, it may take us time, and we are not comprehensive, but at this point, we really just want to know more about what the podcasting landscape is like and what is out there so that we can, um, in the longer term, uh, do our best to do justice to what uh, the creative works of this day and age are um, for future generations. I mean, And I'm- is there... Is, is there a place on the Library of Congress website where people would fill out a form to recommend their podcast? How does that work? Well, at, at this point, um, boy, it's tough. Uh, there's we have a um, an email account. Um, sorry, that sounds very old fashioned at this point. Uh, <laughs> sort of on the web is so slow. Um, but yeah, if if the email's uh, podcast preservation, all one word, at uh, loc.gov. So. An email sent there, um, keeping in mind that um, 
we're, uh, that uh, the people on the other end of the, the email are, are busy and will respond as quickly as possible. Um, that is... Um, it is a human endeavor. That, <laughs> yeah, it is, a, it is a human endeavor. But on yeah. the other hand, um, a, 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 an email to that uh, would at least enable us to... to um, pull them all together in one place and, and increases the chance or otherwise uh, I fear it's uh, we've had we've had uh, various colleagues hearing uh, which is great and then hopefully they get in contact with us but uh, if people do that then it, then at least we we can uh, attempt an organized response and, and tackle this in, in a That's way exciting. that as I said uh, is scalable if we here at Radio Survivor, if I may editorialize, treat all librarians, even librarians who work for the federal government, with the utmost respect and patience. Uh, they are the heroes. They're the true heroes. Um, it's funny because I'm thinking about like analogs to what a – I'm, I'm thinking that they're like the kind of podcasts that I would like to see preserved for future generations to be able to hear um, are ana- – they're anal- analogous to um, like oral histories that might have been recorded by – academics in the 70s 80s and 90s before this sort of um thing became uh, ubiquitous uh like I, I you know the first time i ever learned about oral histories being a thing that exists i learned that there was um somebody that was going around interviewing the men and women who were part of uh touring jazz bands in the early part of the 20th century just getting their stories you know recording them onto tape and then preserving those stories, uh, you know, or, or you know, uh, the idea of um, Holocaust survivors having their stories being preserved for the future. I think that now podcasts can take on uh, that role of recording oral histories with people of interest. Uh, and that is such a broad term. I don't even want to define it. Like, it's just an exciting notion that every individual who has a passion for that work can do it and then thinking about yes you want an audience to love what you're doing today but perhaps your podcast with one listener would still be um of value to more than one person or maybe just one special person 100 years from now and so to do that work and not quit um just because you don't have um whatever x amount of supporters or subscribers that defines success in the world of podcasts i'm also thinking of how um it's in a lot of ways podcasts are a lot like uh diaries might have been uh, 100 years ago or 200 years ago that like everyone has one and they're each an individual story um and and their their value to historians and academics in the future is sort of um not you know it's it's not even worth defining in the present tense it's just good to know that they're there um, to be accessed. No, ab- absolutely. You really <laughs> studied history back in the day, so we're definitely calling calling to me on this one. It's just for every for every book in any case, but in every podcast is that um, for every book there is a reader, and that reader may not be born for a hundred years now, but somebody will really benefit from that. And there's also, of course, the we have to make we have to make decisions about what we preserve and what we don't preserve. But on the other hand, sometimes you can you can get um, have to be careful about not about being too cavalier because um, often it, it's uh, what seems obviously important at the time actually turns out to be only part of the important um, in the future. It's it's one of the other things that I that I try and that I talk with colleagues about here is just it's very. 
what we want to do is uh, we think of the creative output as sort of like a, a chorus is that there are certain voices that are that are uh, very strong or naturally strong and are supported but you need you need all of them you, you don't need a uh, a chorus which is entirely baritone or alto you need all the you need all the voices to, to actually capture it properly so exactly it's that thing there may not be many people that are listening to a podcast that is that is about um I don't know. Lo- um, local history, like a, a small town's right. local history. Well, that's it. Yeah. That's it. A, a handful of people are listening to one as somebody explores the the, the small town history of, um, I don't know, the, the Mississippi Delta. Um, but that is going to be, there are always going to be some people who want that. And at some point, it may be a lot of a lot of material. The, the other, I mean, there, there are a lot of examples like this and... and it doesn't always work out this way, but I remember calling him and telling me that um, year, years ago, back in the, I think in the, uh, made about in the 70s, uh, the Librarian of Congress went before them and they were asking him, well, why are you asking for more money to acquire things? He said, well, back in 1938, we bought a book called Weather Patterns Over Burma. Why would we want such a silly and, and esoteric thing? Except a couple of years later, we were flying all these supplies to the Chinese allies in the Second World War right over Burma. So it turned out to be a very, very useful book for us to have. Um, you, you, can't, you can't tell. You can't collect everything. On the other hand, that's, that's the nature then of trying to get something representative of as close to everything as you can. Um, because, you know, the, the future is inscrutable. Otherwise, we all would have placed money and on horse races and <laughs> boxing matches, and we all be rich. Um, it's all a mystery. Buy a lot yeah, of I'm Disney stock in the early 80s. Right. I'm certainly <laughs> yes. thankful to all of the librarians and archivists who had the foresight to preserve things related to, specifically for me, college radio right. history, because a lot of that is sort of ephemera, meeting, meeting notes from college radio stations in the mm-hmm. 1940s, old scripts. A lot of that stuff just got thrown out and disappeared but but some uh, you know some schools and libraries have saved those items and it's incredibly helpful for me in in sort of piecing together that early history of college radio yeah it, it definitely i mean it, it's the good thing about how it's always been a collaborative effort preservation digital preservation even more so is that we are part of this um but we're definitely part of a network um, we can bring certain strengths other people bring other strengths and we just work together to accomplish this it's it's sort of why the, the call is out so we need to know what it's like on the ground so we're not nimble we can bring great uh sort of weight when we when we get moving um if we can someone else can provide the sort of guidance uh, or the uh, help us identify where to put that weight then we can make a real difference but even then it's sort of we're all we're all working on this together, and we'd never um, we'd never be able to do it on our own. Um, but I think together we we can actually preserve things like this, so that the future people that are interested in, in podcasting hopefully benefit the way you have from the the people who preserve the information about college radio back in the day, which yeah. is just fascinating. And I, I would I would like to add that um, we we learned from a previous guest of the of the radio show Radio Survivor. Um, a guest who was uh, leading an effort to preserve uh, the sounds of radio, especially the, the 20th century, that what's, re- what's really unique about people talking into microphones and why it's worth hearing again in the future is that in a lot of, it's, it, it is very much a, um, you're getting to hear 
intelligent people, writers sometimes, uh, speak their reactions to their world and to their lives into microphones um, on the day that they're feeling those things. And uh, later on, they might develop those ideas into much more uh, clear thoughts. They might discard them. But there's something very unique about that document that um, hearing, hearing the voices of the people who are reacting to their world on the day that they're feeling those feelings is, um, is, is a really uh, a cool thing to have around especially um, in the future, you know, like it's, it's just, yeah. It's having that preserving. audio, having that mm-hmm. audio history, we just experience things in a different way. Yeah. Listening to these well, interviews and stories, Ted, Ted Westervelt, manager of the podcast preservation project at the library of Congress, where radio survivor, the podcast and radio show is now on a digital shelf alongside other podcasts that are being preserved. And uh, it's a, you're at the very beginning of the process of working on figuring out how to preserve podcasts moving forward but we're very uh we're pleased as punch to be a part of the beginning and good luck with the the next steps what what happens next what do you see in the future of of this work to preserve podcasts uh the next steps are exactly hearing back and learning more about what's out there and then figure out how to acquire and manage the material in a way that really does capture those representative voices. So at this point, I think we're we're going to keep doing more outreach, both for specific podcasts and for a better understanding of what's happening in podcasting in general so that we can, we can build this up with the knowledge that this is from the last digital project I had to work on was sort of uh, 10 years from the, we're, we're getting a handful of things to, oh, now we actually have a, a major stream of, of material which is building the collection on a daily basis. So I'm, I'm looking forward to us being able to do that with podcasts. Um, but any right guesses on when any guesses on when you might open the doors to the public to be able to peruse the collection? Oh, um, let's see. Technically, uh, anyone wants to come to Washington, D.C., we make them available on site, the ones we've collected so far. Uh, some of them are only going to be available on site because the podcasters have, have asked. We, that, is, that is entirely up to them. We ask whether we can make it available through our website or not. Uh, currently, we are working on, um, as anyone who knows technology, uh, we're working on improvements um, to our ability to um, provide access to audio content uh, through our website. So we're, we're sort of trying to get that ever all the, all the balls lined up yeah. there. Um, but then the one, the podcasts um, that are allowing us to, to um, make their, their episodes or the episodes we, we've collected from them um, allow us to stream them through our website, then they will be available through that to anyone as well. Um, that, that I don't have a definitive data on. I, I've worked, I've worked on too many projects, and I know how overworked ever, all of my colleagues are uh, to want to uh, put a hostage to fortune out there and say a particular date. But, right. Um, <laughs> we will look forward they, to it. Yes. Yeah. No, no, no. Trust me. We will, we, will make it, we will make an announcement about that when that happens. And, and we really are hoping soon to, to do more outreach to podcasters and the podcasting community to, to get their, their feedback and their thoughts, because I think that's going to be crucial if we're going to build this up the way we want to. That's great. great. Well, Ted Westervelt, Manager of Podcast Preservation Project at the Library of Congress, thank you so much for joining us today on Radio Survivor. Well, thank you very much. I've really enjoyed this.
I have to ask one question now. That's how I end the radio show. But um, this is my <laughs> this is as a creator. Uh, this goes into the podcast version of our show, which doesn't have time constraints. Uh, I just want to know uh, if one of the episodes of Radio Survivor that are available at the Library of Congress, if they um, become popular for some reason, will we be able to know about it? Like, you know, it, could could we know the stats of which? Uh, pieces oh, yeah. of audio were accessed um or is that i mean you know that's that's all i'm thinking of. like if if because because one reason why you wouldn't want to uh, allow the library of congress your podcast uh, to stream your podcast to an audience is that um you want to capture every one of those uh clicks for your own um mm-hmm. you know clicks are our currency in the in the 21st right. century but i don't right. mind it's fine if if a thousand clicks go to the library of congress's version of radio survivor instead of our own it's still delightful but we want to know about it right i i would have once again i have to i know we do a lot of uh that sort of web metrics i however i'm not the the expert in that i would have to talk to my colleagues about yeah. it we're obviously would would capture that sort of information i don't know how granular we get uh sure. and that is definitely something it would just be, that's actually just a good question i want to yeah. take back to them because it's always been thank you one of the things we do is when we make um well when we make con make it discoverable that we have the content we always include a link back to the the website sure um so that i mean if it's if it's up and running now um then we feel that we have we have a responsibility to it. So you can discover it through us, but and here's where it is live. And if you can't find it there, then then come back to us. Um, our job isn't to try and steal clicks from anyone. In oh, fact, of that's not. that's the opposite. We're, oh, yeah. we're trying to make a we're trying to make a healthy sort of environment. Yeah, well, for, and that's for that's why you know, it's that's why we were so excited to to allow the Library of Congress to stream it because it's just great to think if if six more people who find this you know who find the work through that avenue. Uh, hear it it's just it's we're, yeah. we're very grateful for that but also if like i'd love to know if um you know if our episode yeah. with larone martin all of a sudden becomes uh the most popular podcast in the library of congress's archives i think that will be a hot it. that should that be a hot be one in, you know in the library of congress yeah. i hope it is that's a good episode <laughs> that's a great do, you one. Know, that would, that would... do you know about that episode ted no not with, off the top of my head but Jen- now i want to listen yeah, to it jennifer yeah sell, we sell him the larone martin episode yeah, so Lerone Martin, um, he wrote a book called Preachers on Wax, and it's about um, these preachers who had popular 78 records, or, you know, they made 78s of their sermons, and it was preachers who didn't necessarily have access to the radio, and, and a lot of them became superstars just through their, their records. Yeah, and mostly so African-American we, uh, preachers yeah. in the 1930s. Oh, brilliant. And, and it was a very... Um, it's such a fun history to to learn to learn more about both uh you know people that made records and just that world and its relation to radio and also how these preachers like what they were um what their goals were to communicate with their audience and how they how they achieved those goals and then what these sound recordings were and you know, did and he talked about some of the production aspects that yeah. you might you might have a preacher in the studio right after a, you know a blues performer with like all of their licentious you know behavior mm-hmm. happening in the studio. Oh, they, and, they could smell and the smoke. And then the preacher comes in right after. Yeah, yeah. And, then, and then tell their audience, "I can <laughs> smell the, the the I can smell the 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 embers of hell. I can smell it." Well, they they could smell 
they could smell a lot of things in the studio. That that was the that was the assumption. That was the joke from that episode. And I, and I think a lot of these sermons sound like they were you know really awesome fire and brimstone. Yeah, and, well, and we can hear them. They're um, some of the recording artists. You know, their work was preserved, and they became they became quite famous in their day. So I I even was able to jump over to uh, the Spotify streaming service that I purchased and and listen to. I can't remember any of the names of the artists at the moment, but it was a really great. Well, and I, and I think from dust to digital has a, a compilation that has a bunch of these types of recordings on it. Yeah. Um, that label does a lot of interesting stuff where they're, you know, preserving things from cylinder and early phonograph records. So yeah, that's that a good episode fantastic. to dive into. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Especially it sounds with, great. With, no, this, that's... with this idea that the African-American uh, artists, and in this case, preachers, like if they had had the opportunity to, to have radio airtime, they would have taken it. But because they didn't, mm-hmm. they chose to record their sound to, to the 78s. And now uh, because of that um, shortcoming, it, it was actually a preservation boon, right? Now we have more of the sounds of the preachers. Uh, available in the future. It was fun. Great episode. That's wonderful. Yeah, because the 78s yeah, survive. <laughs> right. Oh. No, that'll, that'll be good. But that's actually a good point. I'm sure that we'll be interested in sort of seeing which, um, if certain episodes get a lot of um, buzz and then sharing that as well. So, but it, it's good to it's good to hear that from you as podcasters. It gives, a, gives us an idea of what, what would be interesting to you. And I'm guessing that they'll that you'll just be preserving our podcast version. We also have a oh, radio gosh, version. Oh don't start. <laughs> yeah. Oh the wait, good point. Oh no. Yeah, we have a radio version that. Um, don't worry about it. You know, because we're syndicated on various radio stations, and that's a separate edit. You know, that's only. It's all the same though. Yeah. It's mostly the same. I edit for time. It's mostly the same. I edit for time, and then uh, also on the internet you're allowed to sell more of your you can sell yourself more uh, you can ask for money from listeners in a way that you shouldn't uh, or legally are inhibited from doing on the radio so that's another reason to edit but um gosh jennifer opened a can of worms i don't want to trouble you with with answering but yeah we have two versions of the show right well, no that that's an yeah. interesting one yeah that's an interesting question to us because we're I mean, we do collect a lot of radio, and I know there are, there are shows which some people think of as radio shows and something as podcasts, and right. I'm sure there's I – mean, it's interesting to hear from you where the, the divergences are. And, um, yeah, and we may we'll not be the only to, one. Yeah, we may not be right. the only one that has like a slightly different version oh, for I would, broadcast. I would, be, I would be sure of it. I mean, because there's – I mean, just different – different parameters. I mean, if, if time is of the essence uh, radio where there are blocks, um, but you've got some more flexibility in, yep. in the podcast, um, then yeah, they're, they're going to be. And it's, it's interesting, which, um, I don't know, it'll be interesting. I'm sure there'll be cases where we collect both. Um, and it'll be interesting just, I don't know. I mean, that that's a sort of broader uh, collection development question the, for us. I'm going to um, guess that the that main difference... To explore. The only academic in the future that would care is someone who's like studying advertising on the radio and the internet and trying and wanting to know the difference because oh, yeah. that's all I can think of as being the biggest the biggest reason to hear a right. podcast instead of uh, the podcast version of This American Life instead of the radio version of This American Life is just if you want to get data on um, 
who was funding the show as far as advertisers go. Mm-hmm. But uh, well, but also, you know, people might also be interested in the production. So yeah, you know, like uh, right now we're recording a little bit that's going to be on our podcast probably. So, that's true. This this whole um, section won't be on the radio, and we're proud of it. But but you're preserving the podcast version, which is always longer. Right. Yeah. So you're getting right. more of the content. Right. Okay. And so that that's actually useful to us because obviously if if we can as easily get more than less, we want more. Mm. It's it's the same way that if someone came to us and said, if you want a hardback book, you want a paperback, we'd say, well, take the hardback. It'll last longer. Um, or there's more to it. Uh, any Anytime you can do that, that's useful. And I will definitely say... But there's junk, there's ads and stuff in the heart, in the soft cover oh, version. <laughs> yeah. You're talking to you a, want, a, I mean, soft, a, heart, I mean a softback uh, hoarder. Oh yeah, no. So I I have tons of them too, but uh, most <laughs> mostly so people can can be used over and over. But I, yeah. I talking to our folks in in newspapers is one of the key things they want to ensure preserve are the ads because that advertisements tell you an awful lot yeah. of society at a given oh. time. Um, and preserving the ads is actually, I mean, I I mean. Some some time from now, it, it, this is going to be a rich sort of seam of of research for yeah. uh, academics. Is that it? It it tells you so much, and I mean, it's I'm true. Like to a podcast, I can flip through it, but people are going to want to re- hear those things. Yeah, you know, I mean, that with so many things, um, my dad collects a very obscure item, and a lot of the research he did and the history of this item was through old ads. Hmm. And you know what like, item if, can you say oh, to yeah. the public Sa- safety safety razors? <laughs> oh, interesting. So he's written well, books about safety razors, <laughs> and I didn't know that. <laughs> so he did a lot Good of patent. Him. He did a lot of patent research, um, mm-hmm. and then also you know just finding old ads, um, which tell the story of so how if, they're if marketed. You're, and, if you're researching online gambling in the early part of the 21st century you're going to need to hear the ads for online gambling on certain popular podcasts uh, of 10 years ago yeah it's it's funny i mean i don't know it's interesting it's interesting i mean that's how i found um oh good lord like some great something grandfather was a hat maker back around the turn of the century and you in the trade publications you can find advertisements for his hats right amazing yeah, it's the the, ad, the advertisements are, are really worth holding on to. So we we have <laughs> we like to keep those. They tell us a lot about uh, life in this year. That's right. Yeah, we just learned from uh, another Jennifer's role is often just to remind me who we talked to because I remember the the facts and the trivia, but I forget their names. There was someone that uh, came on and told us uh, amazing things about the ads in the radio trade journals of the of the early part of the 20th century and and what they what they taught us about how the the businessmen who were making radio thought about oh yeah that their was industry li- was good yeah that was likely kyle barnett yep. who we talked to about um kind of the parallel concurrent histories of of the recording the phonograph industry right. and the radio industry like the different and, in the different eras how the businessmen who owned radio stations or record companies uh considered their competitors in the other realms is fun, a fun topic. Yeah, that would be fascinating. Yeah. Well, Ted, uh, thanks again for joining us for this extra time. Uh, we would love to, uh, we'd love to keep you forever and keep, keep throwing tidbits at you. I know. Thank you so much. It was a real pleasure to talk to you. 
Well, thank you very much. I've really enjoyed it. So thank you for having me on. Yeah, and good luck again with the project. We we look forward to to its uh, development and and you know tell us. Well, we can't wait. We can't wait to know what what comes next. Thanks so much. Thank you. Have a great weekend. <laughs> you too. Bye bye. Well, folks, that's the conclusion of the podcast episode, and I just wanted to drop in here and say uh, thank you for listening again. As per usual, as we say every week, uh, Radio Survivor is a podcast that you can get for free whenever, wherever you get your podcasts, including at the Library of Congress. And um, uh, I just wanted to say that this edit that you listen to, the podcast version, um, I put a real light touch on it. And there's a radio version that's uh, considerably shorter. But this, I, it, <laughs> I have this unique, this is like a confession now as a radio producer. I've always... Um, been of two minds when it comes to editing interviews to share on the internet. On the one hand, when you edit an interview to share on the internet, uh, you have no, uh, the, the goal is not to hit a certain time frame like we do on the radio. So therefore, you have to um, have a different motivation for editing. And a lot of the work of editing is um, really exciting. Hello, cat. A lot of the work for editing uh, f- the, for the internet uh, can go. It can go a real long way. I'm thinking about this a lot because I uh, our our guest on next week's episode, probably next week, is going to be Eric Newsom, who wrote a book about uh, making the best possible uh, audio for the internet as well as for the radio. It's got the word podcasting in the title, um, and uh, Eric Newsom's book is very good. It's it's very much on my mind now and has changed the, a lot of how I'm thinking about audio. Uh, for this moment, uh, I, I just actually um, mere hours ago got back from interviewing Eric on uh, the book tour that he's taking for this book, and um, so the idea of like, well, why do we edit audio is really at the forefront of my mind. And here is this piece of audio that um, is is rather long and very um, raw. It's exactly how we recorded it. Well, no, I cut out. Um, a couple mistakes but for the most part every bit of the content of the our voices speaking into microphones on topic has been left in including um the meandery parts or the parts that um weren't as conclusive as the other parts and i lift i leave them all in for you for the historical record and on the one hand that's because it's easier for me as a labor <laughs> as the laborer who did the editing Um, It is easier for me to leave it all in than to start to decide, well, this uh, piece of audio um, entertainment and um, what else is it? It it has more – it it is not as entertaining as it is uh, socially valuable. This piece of academic audio um, would be more presentable with a stronger edit, with another few hours of work, um, leaving in all of the – ideas and concepts and and great answers that ted westervelt shared with us but also just clarifying things and cutting out the parts where he clearly had to think out loud while he was uh conducting the interview with us which again thank you so much for all of your time and focus um answering all of our questions is never easy especially if um it's not your job right you know spokespersons professional spokespeople and uh, others who are used to being interviewed all the time, sort of all, you know, they have experience, um, you know, talking on the radio, talking on podcasts. But I, re- I always really appreciate when people who um, 
are less often in front of the microphone or behind it, as it were, um, shared their time with us on Radio Survivor. And um, today, uh, at the end of the episode, and here's a very rambly uh, outro from your host. Um, is there's uh, I left it all in, and uh, I left it all in, and that's that. Uh, thank you so much for listening. Radio Survivor is a reader and listener-supported enterprise. Uh, we work very hard, mostly voluntarily and as a labor of love. And if you're able to support the work, uh, to so we can continue to work very hard, but maybe even um, to allow us to focus even more on the working and, and um, you know, uh, create multiple edits, the, the the radio edit as well as the online edit, and make both of those um, shiny pieces of content as as strong as possible to grow our audience to to build a stronger base for this work continuing for the next five years um do consider uh, joining us at our patreon page you can find out more at radiosurvivor.com slash support my name is eric klein on behalf of jennifer waits and matthew lassar and paul reese mandel who also make radio survivor every day uh, thank you the listener so much and stay tuned. We'll, we, we love radio enough that uh, we'll be here next week with you. <laughs>